Industry Pods and Evergreen Podcast Network are pleased to present the following podcast. Next topic is what is Delta 8 and the blurred lines of its legality on the stage today. We have Rick Trojan, Roger Brown, and Joseph Smith. Give it up, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. Appreciate you all coming out. Uh, big, big topic today, Delta 8, legality, what's been happening around the country, uh, here in the state of Illinois, uh, Texas, and, and so forth. So we've got a great panel. We have testing experts. We have some legal experts. Uh, we'll let them make an introduction. Uh, quickly, my name is Rick Trojan. I'm the vice president of the Hemp Industry Association. We've been around about 30 years, specifically for hemp. We fought the DEA three times. We're currently in a lawsuit with the DEA over um, intermediate and finished hemp extracts on, a le on federally legal uh, standpoint. And uh, very excited to bring these two uh, here to the, to the stage. So Roger, let's go ahead and do an introduction. Hi, I'm Roger Brown. I'm the uh, president of, of uh, ACS Laboratory. We are the largest cannabis and hemp testing laboratory in the eastern half of the United States. We currently test about 5,000 samples of product a week and thousands and thousands of samples of Delta-8 uh, products a month. Probably half the people in, in this building are our clients and look forward to talking about Delta-8. Thank you, Joe. Uh, yeah, I'm Joe Smith with the law firm of Thompson Hine, based out of DC, but helping clients and companies across the country, um, dealing with everything from cannabis broadly to narrow Delta-8 and CBD and everything along the spectrum there, um, working with everyone from the, ver the processors and the growers down to the retailers. Um, and you know, for this last year or so, we've been working a lot with them in terms of complying with the PACT Act um, and everything that requires, because unfortunately that does apply to CBD and hemp and cannabis companies. So um, always looking to help everyone and hopefully share some good information on the legality of Delta-8 today. Right on. So we're going to have a couple of just general questions, and then we're going to open it up for Q&A. So if you have your questions, just get them ready. Um, first, Roger, we'll start with you. Just give us an overview of what's needed to accurately test Delta-8 THC, like the standards, the equipment. Is there anything special to test for Delta-8 versus CBD or other cannabinoids? Well, first of all, Delta-8 is a derivative of CBD. So you take CBD isolate or CBD crude, and then you make a chemical reaction to make it into Delta-8. And if you go too far on Delta-8, you end up in Delta-9. And also you can create Delta-10. But in order to test Delta-8, it's very important to be able to test it properly because Delta-8 and Delta-9, the peaks are right next to each other, like my two fingers right here. So in a, in a normal laboratory that would do the testing, they might mistake Delta-8 for Delta-9 and put a report like that out. So it's so important to be able to know how to test Delta-8, which is what we do is we elongate the method of testing to be two and a half times the length to be able to significantly identify Delta-8 and separate it from Delta-9. They're right next to each other and they are misinterpreted all the time by many, many laboratories. Again, we do thousands and thousands of samples a month of Delta-8, Delta-10, uh, and it, they're all identified properly. The type of equipment that's necessary to be able to test it 
is very sophisticated, high-performance high liquid chromatography equipment and mass spectrometry equipment to be able to test for the potency levels, but also to test for the contaminants that are in there that could potentially be harmful to individuals. And uh, Roger, just explain a little bit the contaminants and the testing needed for, just elaborate a little bit on the contaminant piece and why it's important to test for that. If you look at it, the consumers of CBD products, of hemp products, are very educated consumers. If you look at a certificate of analysis and it only has a potency level on it, honestly, you need to kind of look a little bit further because there are many contaminants that could be in the product. Mold, mildew, mycotoxins, pesticides, residual solvents, heavy metals. Those are all the contaminants that we test for that are required in many states to be tested for and soon to be tested on a national basis. And it's important to be able to test for all of those contaminants to be able to make sure that they are not there and that it's safe for human consumption, not just potency testing. All right, Joe, let's talk about uh, federally. What are the legal arguments used as the basis to argue that Delta-8 derived from hemp is not a federally controlled substance? So, is not a federally controlled substance. Well, we know DEA once has said that they view it as a controlled substance because it contains THC. The obvious and the biggest argument against that is the fact that the Farm Bill legalized hemp and its derivatives, its consumer products, that contain Delta-9 THC of 0.3% or less. And so, as Roger stated, Delta-8 is derived from CBD. And as, you know, the argument is that as long as it's hemp-derived CBD that then is turned into um, Delta-8, then it's legal under the Farm Bill. That is the go-to, that is the primary argument there is for it. And, you know, that in part may explain why ATF and the DEA have not taken any real action on the Delta-8 market, despite the fact that obviously, as we sit here, is a rapidly growing and expanding and has been over the last year. But that farm bill, that's what it comes back to, and the DEA can make their argument about, well, THC is a controlled substance. Well, you can make that argument, but it excludes hemp, and hemp includes anything derived from hemp with a 0.3% Delta-9 THC or less. And as long as your Delta-8 products have good testing, um, which I, I can't emphasize enough, um, get good testing. Um, that shows that that Delta-9 THC is less than 0.3%, then you have a good argument and a leg to stand on that it's federally legal. And I, I would say I, I agree with him. THC is a federally regulated product, over 0.3%. And it's important to always make sure that you're not over those levels and to be able to go and get cross with the DEA. So it is very important to be able to make sure that. And, and how many states are there that it's, that it's legal now to be able to sell Delta-8 in? Legal or Ill illegal? Because now it's, it's now, well, I guess, either way I'm going to answer it. Um, it's about illegal in, 18, I believe it's up to 18 states now, or actually that might be 19 now, because Texas just came down, um, which I know we're going to talk about a little more later, um, basically clarifying um, that it's illegal. Um, but South Carolina, which I don't think a lot of people caught, um, their attorney general just put out an opinion, I believe in the last week or two weeks, essentially saying it was his view 
uh, in response to a law enforcement inquiry that Delta 8 is not covered by the Hemp Act, or excuse me, the Farming Bill and the Hemp portion of the uh, Farming Bill or the state's Hemp Act, and therefore it could be or should be considered illegal. Obviously, though, um, in this instance, South Carolina's AG left you up to local law enforcement, which is not a great situation to be in because you're at the mercy of whoever the sheriff is or the local law enforcement. Um, so yeah, so we're up to about 20 states now that either have outright banned Delta-8, put restrictions on it, um, or shifted it to uh, regulation by their marijuana agency. And then there's three or four that have been in discussion uh, about how they're gonna handle it moving forward, either prohibiting it um, or just implementing additional regulations to make sure that the people on the market are good actors, are doing that proper testing, and aren't just selling you a load of crap, so. Yeah, it's interesting. It's very clear in the Farm Bill. The last five, let, the last five words of the Farm Bill talks about the Controlled Substances Act, and it says, except for tetrahydrocannabinols found in hemp. So meaning that those cannabinoids would be controlled except if they come from hemp, right? So it's very, very clear federally, I think. Um, we have obviously some state issues we have to work through, but all part of it is just being a good actor. If you're a manufacturer, if you're a retailer, making sure your products test correctly, don't have contaminants, so that we don't have news reports that say kids are going to the hospital, kids are going to the ER. You know, we're having we're not having adverse reactions to products with contaminants. Um, but Roger, let's let's build on that a little bit. So, as a leading testing facility in the country, what can be done to help ensure products are safe for public consumption? Well, I touched on it before, but in order to make sure that it's safe for public consumption, you need to test for all the contaminants, which would be a full panel of testing. It's not expensive. It's not much more expensive to be able to do the testing, but it ensures that the product is safe uh, to your consumers, to the people that are buying the product. Also, you, you know, speaking about the legality of it, when you go over 0.3 THC, it then becomes a controlled substance. And come January 1st of 2022, if, if you're testing your product with a laboratory that's not a DEA licensed laboratory, you're not gonna be allowed to test it with that laboratory. So the USDA has put down those regulations to say that you have to have a DEA licensed laboratory because when it's over 0.3% THC, it's a very dangerous product. That's sarcasm. But the it's you need to have a DEA licensed laboratory as of January to test hemp products. And until the USDA comes out with, or the federal government comes out with universal requirements across all the states, you're still gonna have a huge disjointed legal situation in selling and manufacturing products based on state rules. And I hope the federal government comes out with regulations across all the board. Yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting, we had these same kind of arguments four years ago about CBD. The whole thing was CBD came from the flower, so it's marijuana. So it's dangerous to kids. It's, I mean, the same arguments literally are being used for Delta 8, they were being used for CBD. Um, but Joe, let, let's get into, uh, given the recent ban in Texas by um, Department of Health and Human Services, where do you see the market moving um, from Delta 8? Other cannabinoids or, or where do you see it moving? Yeah, so I think what I expect and what we're already seeing is there's gonna be a shift in, you know, Delta 8 will continue to be popular and prominent, um, but just like the shift was from CBD to Delta 8, there's gonna be in a continued shift um, to the Delta 10s, 
to the CBGs, to the um, THCOs. It, it's going to just continue along that line, uh, that line there as states try to catch up because obviously we've created a patchwork here where there are states, for example, where you can buy, you know, Delta A without problems. Um, it's, you know, there, it's not technically not legal or legal one way or the other. The state just hasn't said anything, but it's viewed as covered by their state hemp act. And then there are states that obviously have taken direct action and said, it's illegal here. You can't sell it. We're going to come. We'll seize, seize it if you try selling it in your store. And then there are a lot of gray area states I know. And, you know, again, I, we, I can't emphasize this enough because I've gotten calls about this from my clients. Get good testing because even in the states where Delta 8 itself is not illegal, all it takes is some local sheriff or police department coming into your store, taking it off the shelf, running their quick test and saying, well, it tested hot, we're seizing all of it and you're under arrest. And I know from experience, one of our clients had this issue, they're a distributor. They got a call from one of their retailers in a state where Delta 8 is legal. There's, there's no you know, question about, oh, is it covered under THC under the State Controlled Substance Act or is there any rules saying we can't sell it? Nothing like that. A sheriff's office, one of their deputies happened to go in, saw it on the shelf, tested it, it came in hot. Our client, the distributor, got the call from the retailer saying, hey, the police just came in, seized all the product we had. I think some of it was your product that you sold us. What's going on? Immediately, our client went, understandably, kind of went into panic mood because, panic mode, excuse me, um, because they didn't know what was going on. We thought it was We thought it was legal, you know, how can they do this? And so it came back to once our clients started sending off to reputable labs and getting very high, you know, their goal to get actual high quality testing and not just rely on what this particular manufacturer sent them, it turned out a good bit of the product was actually hot for Delta 9 and not, you know, what good bit over and in a couple cases well over the limit of what it was supposed to be. And so and, you know, their original COA said, oh, no, it's fine. There's no Delta 9 in it. So, you know, that that I can't emphasize enough. And I think that's where the market and what it's going to shift towards is going to be hopefully weeding out some of the companies that are just putting this on the market. And, you know, who cares what happens? You know, it's not their problem. And then expanding into different cannabinoids in these states that haven't taken action yet. But I think we... We all kind of have to face the reality that the states are going to keep trying to play catch up. And so even if they don't take action on Delta 8, down the line they may take action on Delta 10 or CBG or one of the other, or HHC, whatever it may be. As these become more popular, states are going to try to catch up and we're just, hopefully it won't be the case. Hopefully it will be more like CBD where things sort of died down after a year or two. But there will be some catch up and there's always going to be that issue of, what's going to be legal and how are we going to handle it? So I think that's where things are most likely going to be heading. So I, I'm just going to say that I, as a laboratory, as a large laboratory, I see everything behind the scenes. Bad things happen to good people. You can make a great product if your product is exposed, if your Delta 8 product is exposed to light and temperature, it's going to convert to THCA, which is then converting to Delta, to Delta 9. So the longer you have that product on a shelf, 
the more that that product is exposed to temperature and light, it's going to keep converting. So you may have a perfectly good COA today, and a year from now you still have the product, it's going to convert depending on how it's stored. So Delta 8 still has a great acceleration curve because we're still seeing more and more Delta 8 products being tested. Delta 10 it still has a great acceleration curve. THCOA has, is starting an acceleration curve and we only test THCOA if you test acetic anhydride along with it, which is a dangerous solvent used to manufacture it. And we don't want to make, want to make sure that it's not any residual solvent of that in there. And then HHC is something that's coming out now. And HHC, I think, is going to be like the next Delta A. And it's going to be the next thing that people are going to move towards. And, uh, but again, all the contaminants need to be out of the product. But I just want to reiterate that again. T Delta 8 can convert to THCA. THCA times, 8 point, times 0.877 equals Delta 9. So if it converts, it's turning into Delta 9. So you have to make sure you have good packaging, you have quality storage, and that the product doesn't change over time. Um, guys, go ahead and line up too. If we have, we're going to open up to Q&A here in a bit. So if you guys have questions for these experts, please line up here and you can speak into the microphone. Um, but before I do that, I just want to point out, ACS is a leading laboratory and they don't test for THCO. They won't allow you to test and you can reiterate unless you test for the acids and the, and the residual solvents, correct? So they don't want something going to market with, oh, explain that to everyone so they can understand we the don't, importance of this. Acetic anhydride is a dangerous chemical, dangerous solvent. And if it's not done right and it still remains in the product, then it can be very dangerous to the person who's consuming it. So we only test THCOA if we test along with acetic anhydride, which is used to manufacture it. So in Delta-8 products, we do test products that, that don't test for residual solvents, but quite frankly, they should test for residual solvents as well, because there are many different solvents and acids that are used to manufacture the products, and they are dangerous. And it depends on your body chemistry, just like Delta-8, Delta-9, or, or CBD, or marijuana, or anything, how it affects your body, all depends on your body chemistry. And it's very important to make sure that those contaminants are not there, which could negatively affect you personally. Uh, any questions from the audience? Anyone want to ask any questions about Delta-8? I know we have a lot, lot going on around the country. Sir, you want to come up and speak in the microphone? What are the main benefits expected in Delta-8 or Delta-9, whatever, uh, compared to, we all know that CBD, the, it, it helps with wellness and the endocannabinoid system and what have you. But specifically, Delta-8, what are the benefits expected? Uh, the question is, I, yep, I, what's I, the benefits I, of Delta-8 as a cannabinoid versus I, CBD? Right, and is it, is it considered a competitor towards CBD? Well. So, yeah, what are the benefits of Delta-8 and is Delta-8 a competitor of CBD or Delta-9, actually? Well, Delta-8 is a derivative of CBD, so you may get some of the benefits of CBD, but Delta-8 is a psychoactive product, um, and Delta-8 gives you more of a sativa feel, 
and Delta 10 gives you uh, Delta 8 gives you more of a um, indica feel, and Delta 10 gives you more of a sativa feel. Then HHC gives you more of a body feel and not a head feel. So they're they're all very very different. That's the empirical. I'm going to give you. There's no research on this, so there's only empirical data. So that's the empirical data of what it does. Um, it's, for lack of a better term, I mean, it's a way for people to have a psychoactive effect that's federally legal. Yeah, and, and on that point, the psychoactive effect of Delta is part of why these states have taken action is because a number of them do view it essentially as Delta 9 light. Um, and so, you know, they, they realize people are using it and, I, you know, I haven't really seen any reported negative effects or after effects, but obviously everyone's different, everyone reacts to things differently. But these states, they view it, they say, well, it's a psychoactive, and so therefore, it's more akin to Delta 9, so therefore, even though it may be derived from CBD or hemp, we're gonna limit it or ban it, or like we saw with Michigan, shift it to regulation under the state marijuana regulatory. And in terms of competition with CBD, um, you know, there does seem to be a theme with some of the states that have re more recently been taking action against Delta 8. They also are states that have um, legalized adult, general adult use um, Delta 9 marijuana. And obviously, if there's this hemp-derived product uh, that isn't taxed or regulated the same way as Delta 9 THC products, obviously that can cause some ruffled feathers and concerns about how it's being sold and who's selling it. So, so yeah, so I mean, that's, that's kind of where it comes in as a competitor to others. So up until recently, when Colorado instituted its new regulations on, on regulating hemp, Florida, the state of Florida had the most strict rules on regulating hemp. So now Colorado has stepped up and said that they want to test hemp for 140 different pesticides and they're going to stage it in um, in placement. So now it's at 104 and it'll go up to 140. And I think it's important as, as on the hemp side as we market Delta 8 products not to market it as marijuana or marijuana light, right? It's its own cannabinoid. It's like, C I would say Delta 8 is the CBD you can feel. So I think Delta 8 is what people thought CBD was five years ago, right? And CBD you really feel after you stop taking it and you realize you have those aches and pains again, right? Delta 8, you feel right away and you feel immediately. Um, but again, striking it as akin to marijuana or marijuana light isn't helping our case, right? So keeping it distinctly, it's hemp derived, it is from hemp, it is federally legal, it's not controlled, and it provides these benefits. Delta 8, a lot of our customers use it for sleep. They'll use a gummy for sleep rather than CBN or um, Ambien or those sorts of things. So there are additional health benefits to this cannabinoid by itself, as well as part of the full spectrum um, realm. Yeah, and just echoing on the benefit point, um, exactly, sell it for its own benefits, its own value, and exactly not as marijuana or Delta 9 light. Um, but just from a legal perspective as well, be careful on how you're presenting those benefits because it is a real pain to get that letter from the FDA or FTC saying you're making these types of claims which are fall more into the medical category um, than, than you may have even intended. So that's always something to be careful about though, but sell it on its own merits um, rather than comparison necessarily to something else. And just, like I said, just tiptoe around some of those benefits that we all know it may have, um, 
but we don't want to get that letter from the FTC. Give us a give us a quick example. Like rather than saying Delta Eight is good for sleep, what would you like? What are ways to tout the benefits without making medical claims? Yeah. So the w the way to do it is you know obviously don't do the egregious, which I have seen people do about CBD and Delta Eight and all of that, where they say things. Like, well, first of all, don't use the word cure. If you use the word cure, you're going to get a letter eventually. Um, but you know, some are more egregious. They say things like, "This will, you know, eliminate all pain, cure your back, you know, eliminate all anxiety, blah 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 blah." Things like saying it can be helpful with your sleep, helpful with relaxing, or or can, or can have a calming effect. Um, those are the type of terms that don't that usually fall outside that medicinal argument. It's when you get into things such as, like I said, it's the the cure, um, eliminate. Um, I, I, sorry, I keep going to the egregious ones I've seen uh, on some of these products where people say stuff like, you know, vastly improve your memory, help you um, defer, defeat, you know, dementia and mental, you know, cognition issues. And it's like, you, you can't say that. Just stop it. Um, you're going to get everyone in trouble with that. Uh, but yeah, it's really using the more general, broader terms without going into the detail or the specific. And, and again, also to emphasize everyone's reaction can be different. So what may be relaxing for me may drive you up the wall or what could give you, you know, help you sleep could just have no effect on me, you know, that sort of thing. So that's the other thing to emphasize. Do not, don't make those kind of blanket claims about how it could help anyone and everyone with all these issues. So, so that's body chemistry. Everything's about body chemistry. So me personally, I'm not a marijuana user. I, I don't use marijuana, I haven't used it in 30, 40 years. But I would tell you, and I destroy about 200 pounds of marijuana a week, but I would tell you, best night's sleep ever on Delta 8. I take the Delta 8, I sleep like a rock, and I wake up in the morning refreshed. And I am the one person that would stand up on a soapbox and say that for me personally, it's unbelievable for me. But, and I don't use marijuana. Yeah, and actually personal testimonials like that can be great and help avoid those same type of FTC, FDA issues. Again, you have to be careful because some people do say things that go a little too far. But ones that are couched as, you know, from my experience, I sleep better than ever or this helped get rid of or reduce my knee, my joint pain or whatever it may be. Those personal testimonials a lot of times can be just as, if not more effective than your blanket copy that you have written up. Um, and a lot of times they avoid those FTC and FDA issues. Not always, um, you know, a lot of times it does just come down to whatever bureaucrat is looking at your website, um, but, but that can help avoid a lot of the issues overall. Any other questions from the audience? We've got about 10 minutes, sir. So I have a question when, uh, when promoting, I work in sales in, in the hemp industry, and when promoting some of those more abstract or more significant health benefits, um, like when you start to talk about cancer and CBD and CBG and the effect uh, apoptosis, inducing apoptosis. Now obviously claiming that it will induce apoptosis and kill your cancer cells or whatnot like you said, might warrant some sort of letter in the mail. Now, how do you feel about about communicating that some studies suggest this cannabinoid provide, or as a, is a catalyst to X, Y, and Z that are, are more significant on the scale of, or on the spectrum of, of 
benefits? Yeah, so that that is a great question, great question, and a great point. And I I can't give you legal advice specifically. Of course. Of course. Um, and if you want to talk more, I'll be in. I think it's E three fifty after. But generally, those kind of references um, where you say some studies suggest or some studies indicate that this may have this benefit. Um, and if you provide links to those studies, sure, um, that can help get you around it. You want to be careful how, again, it, so much of this just comes down to what wor specific wording is used. So it's hard to give a blanket answer, but sure. those, those kind of representations can be helpful and help you avoid those FDA or FTC because you're, you're not really making that claim. You're not saying, oh, it will do this. You're saying, these people did a study that suggests it may have this wink, um, exactly. and so, so, so that can help you get around that issue while still conveying it. Because, exact like you said, if you're trying to sell these products, obviously you want to be able to present the benefits that a lot of us accept that they do and can can have. And linking or you know uh, providing information about these studies can be a really good way to help get around it. Again, it can come down to specific wording of how it's presented. But that is, yeah, that's definitely one way to at least reduce that risk. Certainly, okay. I cool, would, great. I would make sure you had a footnote. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Exactly. And that's cite my source. Got yeah. It. Exactly. And that's why that's what I meant by link to that study. You know, if it if you list to uh, you know link to the uh, Medscape or the NIH link or whatever link it may be, because um, pretty much almost every site now can be found online. Um, if you link or have cite that source. Um, yeah, that can help give you that that backing that you may need to help avoid, because you don't want to say studies suggest this, and then there's no studies that sure, suggest absolutely, it. Absolutely, absolutely. Cool. Well, I appreciate that very much. And uh, if I may, I just wanted to touch on one other gentleman's question uh, regarding the benefits of Delta Eight. This isn't so much a question, but I work a lot with veterans, combat veterans, and I feel that they're a uh, uh, underrepresented population in terms of. They receive so much benefit from Delta 8 because that additional receptor, that, that bind with the additional CBN2 receptor um, that eliminates some of the uh, cerebral effect of cannabis. Um, so it, it seems to provide less, it seems to be less triggering in terms of PTSD and other, um, other say, you know, trauma related uh, mental states. Um, and also uh, seems to help with phantom pain. So I think that's a big front that we can focus on in fighting for illegality is, is fighting for those people that have fought for our country. That's all. Yeah, that's a good angle, the veteran, the veteran side. And, and to reference, thank you, and to reference, there's a 1995 study. Uh, it's in PubMed. You can look it up. And it was 480. It was children 3 to 13 years old, all with horrible cancer. And they used Delta 8 in 1995. Four, 480 times, almost 500 times, 100% success in preventing nausea with no negative side effects. So when people bring about these cannabinoids being involved with children, we've tested it on children. As a country, we've tested it on children in the 90s and had success 100% across the board almost 500 times. So this has been tested. It is safe. Again, if it's produced safe and is free of solvents and pesticides and all those sorts of things. Um, so we have time for maybe one more question. Uh, sir? I know you mentioned earlier that uh, as states start to ban more Delta 8, uh, sorry, as more states ban Delta 8, other companies are moving on to like other analogs like TCO, TCV, things like that. Are you worried about uh, states banning all analogs like across the board moving forward? Great question, Joe. 
So the one word answer is yes. Um, the real answer is a lot more complicated than that. Yeah, there are some states, and we can kind of guess what states those are, are gonna, they're gonna look to do that. They're gonna look to ban any analog to THC or the equivalent. Then, and then it's gonna get down into the, get down to the weeds, no pun intended, about what is an analog, what constitutes an analog, um, how are they gonna define it? You know, some states are already, they're going just with the general, if it's THC, which they view, they view as a good way to knock out the Delta 8s, the Delta 10s, and so on, the TH, THCOs. Um, but that doesn't necessarily address like the HHC and, uh, and the other cannabinoids and derivatives people are gonna look to. And so it's gonna be playing a whack-a-mole game. Some states are going to look to potentially ban all analogs um, or analogs that may have a psychoactive effect. And again, though, what it's gonna come down to, it's gonna be how similar to how Delta-8 is being handled in a lot of places now, where if it's not outright banned, um, there's arguments about whether, well, no, this doesn't fall within the state's THC definition, or it doesn't fall within this definition. And it's gonna be, unfortunately, it's gonna create a continuing patchwork of state regulation and laws. And so, yes, there are gonna be some states, and I am concerned that they are just gonna go that route. They're just gonna say, all analogs prohibited, um, or alternatively, and maybe this, I mean, you know, if you're picking the lesser evil, it'd be they're gonna be regulated like the Delta 9 marijuana, um, which at least then they can still be on the market, they can still provide their benefits. Um, but yeah, but there's also always gonna be states that are just gonna say, we don't care. It falls within our definition of hemp, and unless we start seeing some negative effects of it, you know, if we start realizing a certain analog causes people to have problems driving and it's causing accidents or, you know, people can actually o overdose on it. Uh, you know, if they start seeing those things, maybe some states will. Um, but yeah, it's gonna, we're gonna continue kind of with like a Delta 8 system where we have now, where 20 have taken action, 30 have really done nothing and leave it to whatever sheriff or local police officer who goes in and says, I don't know, I think this might be illegal let me just be a complete pain to everybody involved and we'll find out later um, situation. So yeah, so unfortunately, I think that's where it's gonna continue on um, that path where, you know, a year from now, we may be having this panel on HHC and how some states are taking action. Um, and, and yeah, I just think that's kind of where it's gonna end up going. So I, I test products three to six months before they actually get an acceleration in the marketplace. And so I know what's coming out six months from now or a year from now because I'm starting to test those products now. The only thing I would say is that the wheels of justice grind slow, but they grind. So eventually regulators and justice catches up, but there's a long period of time between now and then. And it's just a matter of getting into the marketplace. Yeah, and, and uh, along with that is there may be, and to an extent there has been a little bit of acceleration of some of these states looking at this um, because some of the federal actions were in like the PACT Act and the fact that that covers cannabinoids and hemp and CBD and all of that um, and the recent mail ban um, going into effect, you know, and all, and we I work with a lot of clients that are dealing with that right now and their concern is is that a lot of complying with these statutes is gonna draw attention to the issue because it is. And so some of these states that may otherwise have said, we don't even know what Delta 8 is, we're not paying attention, are now gonna say, 
why are all these companies shipping these products in? What is this? What's going on? And, and so we may see some acceleration just as a result of that, um, especially if there are people who try to avoid complying and then they're going to take a look, well, if these guys aren't complying with this one aspect, what else are they, what else are they, aren't they complying with or what else might be in their products? It's, it's all about good products and bad products, really. When you have a bad product on the marketplace and somebody has an adverse reaction, it, that gets news attention, media, legal, goes all the way down the line. So make good products, sell good products, and sell products that are safe for human consumption. Yeah. Yeah, I was just gonna say, uh, that, my next question was kind of like, uh, do you think that it'll move towards more like states banning it or regulating it? Just because it seems like most of the states that are banning it are the ones that have a recreational market and are missing out on the you know tax benefits. <laughs> yeah, and that's kind of goes to the point I made earlier that that has been the pattern with some of the more. I mean, obviously Texas and South Carolina don't have uh, legalized markets, but yes, like New York. Um, Oregon and Illinois indicating that they're looking to potentially regulate it further. Michigan shifting it under their uh, marijuana. Colorado's actions about Nevada, of course. Um, so yeah, as more because it, it is, you know, there are everyone like Roger said. We want good actors, um, but at the same time, there's also the issue of competition. And states do look at this. Um, I don't want to speak for all of them. Uh, but there are a lot of them that view marijuana and cannabis as a piggy bank. And when you sell Delta 8 products outside of that, you're obviously taking money away from their ta you know, fully taxed um, statutory frameworks and schemes and regulated markets. And so there is. So if you've got a lot of bad actors and then you also are taking money away from the states, they're not going to respond well to it. They're not going to accept that. Well, it's not the same. It has these other benefits, that sort of thing. They're going to say, yeah, well, we've got two companies here that we've already busted that are selling stuff that are, you know, hardly any Delta 8 or, you know, God knows what else, you know, pesticides you've got in it. We're not, we're already looking poorly at you. And then the fact we're hearing from our cannabis friends in the cannabis industry, um, the mar their regular, regulated marijuana industry that, hey, our sales are down because people can go and get Delta 8 from their local 7-Eleven why on you know what's going on so that so that is something to keep in mind as more states come online with um legalized delta nine you know how many are going to do that in conjunction with restricting delta eight like new york did you know that's exactly how new york did it look cbd and all their derivatives need to be federally regulated it's a federally approved product it needs to be federally regulated and the federal government needs to have regulations across all the states to make an even playing field so that everybody can manufacture, market, and sell their products within the domain of the federal regulations. And until they do that, it's going to be what we see today. Well, and we have one more question before we get there. Thanks, Dave. Um, this, is, this is unsustainable, right? We have 120 plus cannabinoids. We, can't, we did this with CBD. We're doing this Delta 8. We can't do this thing with Delta 10, HHC. I mean, it's exhaustive, right? So to, to Roger's point, coming out with, with federal guidelines, and I would, just a quick pitch, go to defendhemp.com, that's the HIA's uh, Defend Hemp website. Uh, join the Cannabinoid Council, we're helping set guidelines, we're working with companies like ACS and attorneys to help defend Delta 8 in Texas, California, uh, Colorado, all these other states, so defendhemp.com, and uh, send us your information. One more question? 
Yeah, no, I, I just had a, a comment. If rather than just go state by state and hope and pray that they're not going to make D8 illegal, would there not be some value in proactively going to those states, agreeing to some minimal tax or some minimal regulation? Because then if the recreational marijuana comes in, the state has to look at turning off of a re off a revenue stream as opposed to suddenly the recreational marijuana people, the cannabis people are going, oh, they're infringing on our market, whatever. I mean, again, a state doesn't just legalize whiskey when they legalize alcohol and then they turn off everything else. A good, healthy market would have all of these products be available and let the customer, let the marketplace decide which one they, they find most beneficial. My wife and her friends hate recreational marijuana. They don't smoke it. They love D8 cigarettes because it gives them the experience that they're after. So suddenly that state or a particular state turns it off and now they can't get the product that they want at all legally. So it seems like maybe there's more work that could be done from the hemp side of it, collaborating with the cannabis so that as they legalize it in these states, they don't turn whiskey on and turn wine coolers off. Yeah, no, I, I think that's great. We're getting the signal to wrap it up here, but uh, I, I think that's absolutely I mean, being proactive and, and trying to get ahead of this uh, is something to do. And again, join defendhemp.com and help us do that. I mean, we need your help. We need your companies on board, and we need to do this together, right? We're coming together, we can stop all this nonsense. I mean, these are healthy, no one's ever overdosed of any cannabinoid, so uh, let's you know, let's address it from science and instead of from fear. So, want to thank Roger, want to thank Joe, give you guys a round of applause, and thanks, thanks for guys. Coming. Thank you. If anybody has any questions, we'll be here. You've got questions, we've got answers. Business leadership, ownership, and sales can be challenging. Tune into the Accelerate Your Business Growth podcast to learn from the world's experts. Join me, your host, Diane Helbig, as I chat with people who have expertise in various areas of business. You'll enjoy the lively conversations that are focused on providing you with the ideas, tips, and suggestions you need to realize greater success. Get what you need for your business, when you need it, from the people who have the answers. Accelerate Your Business Growth is part of the Evergreen Podcast Network and is available on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast.